Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading Women in Tech. It's Tony here, your lit up leadership career bestie for women in tech, elevating every single one of you to roles that make you thrive so we can all change the world of work and the world of technology for the better of the human race. Today, I have a fabulous guest on the show. I must say that. I am so privileged to have extraordinary women coming on the show. I'm not averse to having men yet to find a man that I really want on the show, but I'm open to that. If any of you would like me to interview a man, you have somebody in mind. (laughs) But I'm very lucky to interview a lot of extraordinary women, and today is no exception. Today, I'm speaking to Nidhi Gupta. Nidhi is an engineering and product executive and has helped build, scale, and transform various companies from early stage through hyper growth stages. She has extensive experience and expertise in strategy, one of my favorite topics, R&D, business development and operations, and she's led various marketplaces and SaaS businesses. As an engineering and product leader, she is passionate about building and growing thriving operational organizations that deliver world-class products at scale. But... She's even more excited than that because in the last year, I'm not actually sure when she left her full-time job, but she is now the CEO and co-founder of SheTO. SheTO is a private network for women identifying and non-binary engineering leaders and is focused on accelerating the careers of its members and building their high-powered network. So this is engineering leaders' place to be. Actually, a number of my clients are in her organization as well as working with me one-on-one or in my academy and quite simply the work she's doing with engineering women is just extraordinary. Prior to founding CTO, she was the chief product officer at Hired, Upwork and Ning. Uh, this woman ticks all the boxes in terms of the kind of experience that I know many of you are craving to hear about, to learn from, as well as her work at CTO. I think it's incredibly important. Even if you're not an engineering leader, this woman has a lot to offer. So without further ado, let's get Nidhi onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Nidhi. It's so great to finally get you on the show. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while. Welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you, Tony. I'm so glad to be here. And by the way, you pronounced my name exactly right. So thank you for that. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Names are an important thing in my mind. Well, can we start off by you sharing your career journey? Because it's an inspiring one. The highlights, the lowlights, and why you're now passionate about working with women and women engineers in particular in technology. Absolutely. So I started my career in tech as an IT engineer uh, way back when, I think 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, through the course of my career, uh, early on, I ended up becoming an engineering manager and I rose up through the ranks. And over the course of my career, I started for the last 15 plus years. I've been running, uh, exec- I've been in executive engineering and product leadership roles. Uh, the, my very first opportunity to become a manager was given to me by my female manager. So early on, I realized the benefit 
of nurturing talent from within. I, and when I got that opportunity, I knew that that's the kind of manager that I wanted to be. So my highlights have always been around people's success stories. So I built amazing products and amazing companies. But to me, what when I look back at my career, what gives me the most satisfaction is how people have grown and flourished under my leadership or with my mentorship. And I think on the flip side, low lights have always also been people-centric. Right? They've mostly revolved around biases uh, that I've had to face or people in my organization or around me have had to face. And, and I think the burden of showing up with your A-plus game every single day. Mm. And that's really what led me to my passion around doing more for women engineers in tech. Uh, and, you know, I fundamentally believe that unless we get equal representation amongst the ranks which make decisions for us, we will never get fair and equal treatment. So that's the reason why I do the work that I do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we have a, a similar mission from that point of view and that I do this because... I mean, I, I fundamentally believe the human race desperately needs equal representation in tech. I, I would love it if we were treated better. But to me, it's even more profound than that in that we're messing up the planet, we're messing up the human race even faster <laughs> than we should be doing because we don't have leaders that are diverse and inclusive that represent the entirety of the human race. Um, but I just want to go back to your comment there about the A-plus game every day, having to show up with that A-plus game every day. How did that manifest for you? Like, what was it doing to you in your career with that need to show up as your your best possible self day in, day out, when potentially your male colleagues did not have that pressure? Yeah. So, you know, I'll give you an example from my personal life, actually. So my daughter is now 13. She just turned 13 last week. And she is a second-degree black belt. Wow. Uh, one day, I pick her up after her um, karate lesson, and she, she seemed very dejected. Mm. And I asked her, what's going on? Why are you so dejected? And she told me that uh, in the studio that day, there were these youths, there were these new kids who had come and who, were, who they were teaching, and she felt, she felt that she was not feeling great. So she didn't show up as well as she could have. And the reason why she wanted to show up is that she's the only second degree black belt in her studio. Mm. And she wanted to inspire these new young kids who were joining that, especially the girls, that they could become a second degree black belt someday and that they should stick with the program. Mm. That is the pressure that a 12-year-old girl feels in a community where she's severely underrepresented. And if you look at the numbers in technology in, 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 uh, amongst the engineering function, less than 90% of engineering executive roles are held by women. Yeah. About 12% of women are engineers. So translate that into a work environment, right? When someone reviews your code and they find fault with it, they more often than not, 
attribute that to she's a woman. Mm, yeah, we've all experienced that one. I think if you're listening to this and you're an engineer, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I remember when I was doing my uh, undergrad in engineering, uh, and you know there was a there was a lab in which you had to sort of file this piece of iron, and when and you at the you know when you're done and it has to be super smooth, and you hold it up in light against another metal bar, and you and if there's no light light streak peering through, then you know that you've done a really good job. And I would walk up to the lab assistant to, to check it. And I still remember to this day, this was like 30 years ago, and I still remember to this day, I walk up to him, he looks at it, and then he looks at me, and he's like, it's okay for a girl. Oh, gosh. That and is I kind of, this, oh. fuck you moment. hundred <laughs> percent. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to make this the best goddamn job that has ever, that anybody has ever made. And that's what mm-hmm. I proceeded to do. So I think, be it the experience of my daughter, or be it my experience in school, or be it my experience, you know, getting my code reviewed, or making a managerial decision, it fundamentally shapes your personality. It influences your work ethic. And it informs you to carry this burden every single day because you're fundamentally not just representing yourself you're representing the entire womanhood yes that burden of representing all other women out there don't you know like that pressure (laughs) i just oh it's it's exhausting to experience day in day out i think many of us and many of those listening have at some point realized they're holding this torch for every woman don't you know <laughs> because we'll get pushed in a box right and that's why women leave because at some point it just gets too much right that at some point I was like I don't want to deal with this shit enough already right? yeah the, the another interesting thing you you mentioned there was about you know that actual feedback which was it's all right for a girl for a woman for whoever right like just categorizing it one of the things that I am angry and then passionate about fixing is the information, the feedback, the training we get. It isn't just the classic of those throwaway comments. It isn't just what we all know of, of a lack of mentoring and training provided for women. And, and then in addition, a lack of mentoring and training that actually appreciates what it's like to be a woman as well, which I know is what you and I both love to do is bring that lens But it's then also the other extreme, which is a very dangerous thing for me to say because it can come across as victim blaming and this is not my intention, but the apologist side of it. So for example, when you're told you need to be more assertive, right? A lot of us are told you need to be more assertive. Then you get accused of being aggressive. And then you read a blog post about how if you're being told you're aggressive as a woman, you're not being aggressive, you're just being assertive, so ignore them. Nobody is saying, hey, actually, let's have an honest conversation and do a diagnosis because women can be aggressive. (laughs) One end is a stereotype. The other end is also a stereotype. And I feel like there's so much noise out there because rightly we're angry, rightly so, that we're not actually really helping the women to change, to thrive and change the stereotypes as a result. And that makes me even more angry. I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think you bring up such a great point. 
I think it's hard. It's hard right now to navigate these waters, right? So I hear that this all the time. Like, should I be aggressive? Should I not be aggressive? Is this sexism? Is this genuine feedback? It is so hard to navigate these waters to figure out what this is that we're going through. Mm, 100%. Well, I do want to dig into the difference between management and leadership. That's why I really wanted to get you on the show today, given your all your experience and all the work you do with women leaders in tech. It's something listeners are familiar with, but can you help us understand briefly what your take is on the difference between management and leadership? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? When you're a manager, or you know, regardless of your title, you read all these leadership books, you read all these leadership quotes, and you often think, but that's what we do. Does this mean that I'm a leader now? Right? Like, it, it seems like such an abstract, nebulous concept that's just out of reach, perhaps, because nobody really tells you, oh, you're coming across as a leader now, right? And you just have to think, feel that way. Or, so, so for me, that moment arrived when one of the VPs, she used to report to me, uh, and one day she said, Nidhi, when I say something, it lands like a ton of bricks. But when you say something, it's like raining flowers. That's what I mean that I've arrived. Right? Yeah. At the end of the day, both a manager and a leader, they get stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's not they both can have a wide span of control. Heck, you can be a CEO and not be a great leader. Yeah. The fun, the fundamental difference is how you manage. Like, mm. do you lead by influence or do you manage your people? Right. So I think yeah. there are three key ways in my mind as to how, like, what the what the differences are. You no longer tell people what to do. You just state the problem and let your people come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Second, you no longer do what you're being told to do, or rather, you no longer just do what you're being told to do. You understand the problem. You define your own vision and strategy to solve that problem. And then you bring that vision and strategy to your team to come up with how they will fulfill that vision. And so then thirdly, you don't just manage the org, right? You shape its culture. You no longer just build a feature or a product. You define the trajectory of the product and platform. So to me, I think those are, it boils down to those three. You no longer tell people what to do. You no longer just do what you're told, and you don't just manage the org or the product. I love that because, I mean, one of the things I will say to people who have done some of the influence, have done some of the informal leadership, as I always call it, like they've maybe worked in a matrix org where they've had to manage somebody who's much higher in the hierarchy than they are, strictly speaking. And I say to them, this is great. Because the hardest thing to learn as a leader is influence. It's something that some CEOs all the way up there have never figured out. You figured that out because it's all you could do at this point. The one key thing is to never forget it. Never forget the power of influence because it's so easy with the job title to let go of that influence, to 
just forget that it exists because it feels like sometimes the the management position, the hierarchy, the fact that you have the title makes it easier. You and I both know long term definitely does not. <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I think to add to what you're saying, oftentimes people equate leadership with title. Mm. Like, oh, I'm a VP now, so hence I should be a leader, not a manager. It has nothing to do with your title. You can be leading by influence and you can be leading, you can be a leader even if you're an IC. You can be a leader even if you're an engineering, first line engineering manager. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so true. Okay. Well, let's talk about crossing this chasm between management and leadership. Like, what do you see as needing to work on the most? You've given like what it looks like. What do we need to do to move across the chasm from management to leadership? Great. So I will use, again, a three-point rubric, right? So the first is vision and strategy. Understand the problems that your company or your organization needs to solve. You cannot be tunnel vision and just focus on your functional area, right? And you cannot just focus on today or tomorrow. You focus on what it is going to be six months from now, one year from now, five years from now, right? And oftentimes, you know, I'll get an objection from somebody I'm mentoring and they'll be like, I'm in a very large company. I don't know how my piece fits in. That's the wrong way of thinking about this. You always know how your piece fits in, right? And if you don't, you go seek that answer. That's one. And sure, if you're a an EM in a very large company, you understand how your piece fits in, but then you really can't influence the vision of or strategy of the company. Agreed. But you can shape the vision and strategy of your team mm-hmm. and of your large organization, right? So extrapolate vision and strategy for what your role is within the organization and make sure that you're looking ahead and not just looking at today and tomorrow and one step in front of the other. Yeah. The second is collaboration and alignment is key. You need, if you're going to lead by influence, you cannot do this by yourself. You need to collaborate with others. You need to become a salesperson because you need to sell your vision to your company or your organization. And you need to work with those in and around you to solve those. So you leverage the talents and skills of those around you. You're not the only person who's solving these problems. You leverage the talents and skills of those around you, work cross-functionally, and yes, deal with dreaded politics. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you know we hold a lot as women. The third thing I would say is the third bill of it, how do you show up? Do you show up as someone who's driving and pushing your people? Or do you show up as someone who inspires people to drive themselves? Mm, I love that and one. How do, you, how do you achieve that? Right? And I can say, yeah, of course, I told my team how tough this deadline is going to be. And they decided that they wanted to bust their butt to make that deadline happen. But critically about that, did you just give them the deadline or did they come up with that deadline? Mm. Did you give them a problem statement that said, 
This is what we have to do, and it's critical to the success of the business. What do you think? And did you? And in response to that, did you give them the agency to think about a solution and come up with something? So that's one tactic. And the other is, this is critical to the business. We have to do this. Otherwise, revenues are going to fall. So hence, we need to embark on this project. I understand the deadline is going to be tough, but I need you all to step it up. Mm. Mm, I love Here's this. The Definitely. I, I want to dig into some of these a little bit. I, I mean, I'm, I'm completely on board with all of it. And I think one thing I want to call out is, you know, you mentioned there for number two that you need to become a salesperson. And I know a lot of people listening to this, unless they're in sales and marketing, are like, oh, hell no. And I was, partly because I didn't understand what it meant. And then I got into a role where I was so excited and so passionate. I had that vision. It wasn't just that I believed in the vision of the company. I believed in my contribution to it. And I just could not stop talking about it. And when you hit that, you can't help but sell because you're like an excited little child who's like, hello, hello, hello. Have you heard what we're doing here? And that's the kind of selling we're talking about, right? I Exactly. I'm glad that you double clicked on it because, you know, if I called myself a sales, I'd probably be the last person who called myself a salesperson. So it's exactly that, mm-hmm. right? It's about being authentic. It's about having this kind of conversation, mm-hmm. it, that in itself, if you're passionate about something and if you're super authentic about something and you're just telling your story in the most authentic manner, people will get it. Yeah. Right? Uh, so find your passion, be authentic, be, be, mm-hmm. be the best storyteller that you can be and you will get a following without feeling like you're actually selling somebody. If, if people are just not getting it, if you're doing all of those things and people are still not buying what you're quote-unquote selling, then you may want to rethink as to what you're trying to pitch to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say at that point, if like, people aren't getting it, that's a great time to get some coaching. But of course, I would say that. <laughs> what is going on with your messaging there? But I have a bias because I love, obviously, coaching. It was life-changing for me, and that's why I'm now a coach. But just like rolling back on that, I think one thing I want everybody to hear that's listening to this, if you aren't passionate about the work you're doing, that doesn't mean you have to work in a mission-driven organization. Unless If you are and you love it, then fabulous. Go you. But I think sometimes people think, I really like what I'm doing, but it's not mission-driven, so how can I be passionate about it? You can. I've been passionate about for-profit things. I've been passionate about all sorts of things in my career. I'm just like excited, like this little thing that's right here, I get to do that. How awesome is that? If that isn't you, there's something wrong with what you're currently doing. It might be stress. It might be the company. It might be the role. I would check in on that because your passion, your inspiration is key to everything Nidhi and I are talking about. And Nidhi, I'd love to hear your view on that. I'm quite strong on that, which is why I have to say that. <laughs> but I'd like your take on it too. I think plus 1,000, mm. right? Uh, you know, I when when I was leaving my last job to, to start uh, my current organization, people were like, oh my God, I wish I could do this, Nidhi. I wish I could pursue my personal passion. And my response to that was, 
this was not my personal passion 30 years ago, right? Heck, it wasn't even my personal passion 10 years ago. So your career is a long journey. Your life is a long journey. Your priorities change. What you're passionate about changes. Mm -hmm. So when I started my career, at that time, it was all about getting a foot in the door. Then, you know, the next go around after a few years, it was really just about finding a cool set of friends at work to hang out with. And then it became about the product I was building. So you're absolutely 100% right. You can, it doesn't have to be the mission that you're super passionate about. It's mm-hmm. great if you are, but at the end of the day, you're going to spend more time at work than you do with, you know, with your friends. So you may as well enjoy what you're doing and figure out for yourself what is it that you're looking for in what you're enjoying the most. And that's, that's your passion. It could be building a cool product. It could be learning a new technology. It could just be our coworkers. It could be a variety of different things. Well, 100%. The next thing I wanted to pick up on is actually kind of related to the next question I was going to ask you about anyway. So you mentioned you have to deal with the dreaded politics. And I think this is actually related to how passionate we are at work, our vision, how healthy the workplace is. I think there is a thing called healthy politics. I think it's a good thing and it's necessary. And it also ties in with the question I was going to ask you, which is what are some of the unique challenges that we face as women, particularly when we're talking about tech, crossing this chasm from management to leadership. I think politics is one of those because I think as women, we have a unique experience of politics in the workplace. And I work with so many women who detest workplace politics. So I'd love to hear your take. What are some of these challenges we face and with that particular lens on politics as well? Absolutely. So I think one is, let's start there. So workplace politics, you know, I will be the first to admit I sucked at it. Mm. And and recently I read this one article, uh, which was great. And it basically said, we need to change our lens with which we we as women need to change our lens with which we look at workplace workplace politics. Mm. Workplace politics is not just about a, a negative, like forget all the negativity that surrounds workplace politics. Think of it more as you are advocating or pitching for yourself. So if you're going and talking to your peer about the work that your team is doing or the work that you're doing, it's not workplace politics. If you're building alignment with them, that's not workplace politics. It's you're pitching and you're talking to them about the work that you're doing in order to build alignment. Mm. Because if that alignment, you're not silent. If that alignment doesn't exist, then who are you doing the work for? Yeah. Right? So if I go and talk to my salesperson to communicate to him or her that the work that they're doing is incredibly hard and time-consuming, I'm not playing politics. I'm not self-advocating. But... I should look at it with the lens of if my peer knows how hard this feature is, Mm -hmm. then perhaps they can come up with the right pricing strategy for this problem, right? So think about the greater value. So you sort of have to change your mindset 
in terms of how you approach these conversations, which fit under the umbrella of politics, and look at it with a positive uh, or uh, with, a, with a view to alignment, if you will. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, what are some of the other challenges, as I mentioned, beyond just politics that you think are unique to us as women in tech? Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the other two that I would mention is, you know, what we talked about before, which is fighting biases and perception. Yeah. I've interviewed so many women for management or leadership roles. And more often than not, the objection that I would hear back from the interview panel would be, She's great, but she doesn't show up as a leader. Oh, oh! I hate it when they say that. You're just like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. So like we've discussed, do work, start early, and you can operate as a leader at any level. Mm-hmm. Use some of the tips that we've discussed, but do the work, gain confidence. And I think once you've done the work, it brings me to the third thing, which is, don't let imposter syndrome bring you down. Yeah. Know that you've done the work. And more often than not, when we start to doubt ourselves, we have an urge to go back to our comfort zone in doing the tactical stuff. It can be like, oh my God, I don't have time for this. This takes a lot of mental energy. I just want to go back and do the tactical stuff because that's where my home is that's where my comfort mm. zone is. so don't let imposter syndrome bring you down or set you back remember and I think there's a there's a there's a, a another lens with which I um I think one can combat imposter syndrome I was listening listening to this podcast by one of our members Tacita and she provided a great lens she said anytime you're feeling un, un, imposter syndrome Tell yourself that you're feeling, you're un- fundamentally feeling uncomfortable. Tell yourself that you're uncomfortable because you're pushing yourself. Mm. I love that. Yeah, because that will fundamentally make you give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. I would say to people, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because growth and great things come from getting out of your comfort zone, whether that's because of imposter syndrome or it's simply something new. You need to get used to being uncomfortable. So get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Embrace it. And as you say, give yourself a pat on the back. I'm like a big believer in celebrations. Celebrate every time you get uncomfortable because you're doing something awesome. Oh, I love that. I love that. If you you talk to any of my clients, as soon as they tell me something that's like a win or they've done something hard, I'm like, so how are we celebrating that? (laughs) They will all tell you that that's what I like. The first thing I say, how are we celebrating? (laughs) Because I think it just reinforces like reconditioning our brains that discomfort is actually a really good thing. I'm going to share that with everybody that I can because we share our successes so much and I think especially in the age of social media that's how you see Mm -hmm. uh we you know uh, I'm a huge proponent of also talking about our failures but I think this is great like anytime you're uncomfortable it's it's very important to share that uh, as well and celebrate yeah. And I, I just love that. Actually, I think one of the things I, I learned this off my mother, she didn't used to say like celebrate it, but my mom used to reward me for the action. So I never got presents or prizes or anything like that for getting great grades. 
I got presents for sitting my exams. I never got a reward for my grades, ever. Never once, which is kind of sad, actually. But <laughs> I think my mom was onto something. Yeah, I mean, she's taught me, like, the most important thing is the action you take, not the grade you get. Because it's the action that's uncomfortable that's the thing we don't want to do. And I love that. I, I, My mom is just like, she taught me so many good things. I'm just so proud to have her as my mom. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's move on to the quick fire round. Um, got lots of little lovely questions for you here. My favorite question I have to ask everybody, first of all, because it just provides some fascinating, slightly depressing insights. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Speaking of slightly depressing, um, I was told, don't speak up. Oh, you're kidding. That person nope. needs to slap. <laughs> it was a guy. Board, of course. And he was actually one of my directs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Okay, let's flip on his head. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice, uh, you do you. That's lovely. That's perfect. Oh, what a good way to turn that one around. What is the last book that you read and would you recommend it? So, you know, I actually more often than not read fiction I don't read non-fiction I'm because totally down with actually- that by the way we were open to <laughs> fiction recommendations on this show in my opinion <laughs> so my last fiction that I read was Exit West I loved it um, uh, the last non-fiction I read was I think my all-time favorite business book is probably Radical Candor I love that book as well. Definitely love that book. I will put the link to both of those books in the show notes for anybody listening. Okay, mindset moment. At the end of every episode, I love to give a mindset tip to help adjust how we act or think on the topic of the podcast. So what is your favorite mindset tip for helping leaders shift from manager to leader? Uh, So, you know, you will often hear me say, take a step back, right? You know, uh, another way of saying that is look at the forest from the trees. And that is fundamentally important important in your journey to leadership. So you need to be able to take a step back. You need to look at forest from the trees. And the best way to achieve that is, the best way I achieve it is either I go on a long drive. So I'm kind of subconsciously thinking about work, but not consciously thinking about work. Or I'm, I'm not neck deep in like problems of the day. Or honestly, in a long shower. My best <sighs> ideas and epiphanies come when I'm showering. I know what that you mean. TMI, but. <laughs> yeah, well, no, like I'm, I will, I'll do the same. Like, I think there's something magical about a long shower and just, yeah, like it just actually also walks in the rain for the much the same reason, something about water, I think. Although I have to feel confident that I can get home and have a hot shower if I'm having <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just distracted by how wet I'm getting. <laughs> um, but a walk in the rain has much the, the same effect. I love that. I love that so much. This has been an amazing conversation. So how can people find out more about you, what you do, connect with you? The work you're doing, Nadia, is extraordinary. So I'd love it if you could just share a little bit about that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so these days I'm busy working on uh, my organization called CTO.org, uh, formerly called Diversity. Uh, and, you know, we talked about some of these stats. So did you know that less than 9% of engineering exec roles are held by women? It just pains me that the number is just so abysmally yeah. low. Yeah. And I and CTO is on a mission to change that. We are a private network of women and non-binary engineering leaders 
Our goal is to close the gender gap by accelerating careers of our members and building that high-powered network for them. Our hope is that through our efforts and through efforts of people like you, Tony, uh, that our leaders rise and thrive and shine in their careers, thereby inspiring the next generation of women to enter the industry, stay in the industry, and over time, aspire for these higher roles. So first and foremost, we are a supportive, authentic community of like-minded leaders who help and support each other. In addition to that, we offer a ton of programs such as free one-on-one mentorship, uh, various training programs and workshops that are led by our members, such as building your executive presence. As a matter of fact, last quarter, we conducted, one of our members conducted a five-week training program called Leadership Accelerator. Uh, which will talk to our members on how to become kick-ass leaders. So you can check out the work that we're doing at gto.org and join us and help spread the word. Oh, thank you so much. Your your mission is so incredibly important, so aligned with mine. I do think as a society, we need to start taking more care of those in tech, not just pushing women in at the bottom. We have far too much attrition and I think the work you're doing is so incredibly important to change that, to ensure we don't have that attrition and that we actually change that 9% at the top, which is so far with all the other stuff being done is just not shifting. It's heartbreaking. So thank you so incredibly much on behalf of me as a, an ex-engineering leader, but also all of our listeners. Um, thank you so much. And I just want to give you an opportunity. Are there any final thoughts you would like to share? Any nuggets of wisdom you'd like to ensure people take away today? Uh, I just leave leave your listeners with one. Uh, Create a support structure around you. Mm. Find a coach like Tony or join a community like CTO. Surround yourself with those who are invested in your success. Make the time to invest in yourself because you're worth it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Remember, listeners, until next time, as always, just as Nidhi is getting out here, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.